Hi, I'm KL Kettle. Welcome to episode 11 of the Book Chain Project. This week, Louis Stowell is interviewing Annalise Avery, whose debut novel, The Night Silver Promise, came out with Scholastic this year. It's um, an epic opening for a trilogy uh, for middle grade, of middle grade, about destiny and dragons. And it's, uh, it's fabulous. And Annalise is also one of my favourite people. So a bit of a spoiler there. Um, join us afterwards and I'll speak to you soon. Bye. I'm about to go live with Annalise Avery to discuss the Night Solar Promise. So Instagram is currently telling people that I have started a live video. Oh, there I see people. Excellent. Annalise will be appearing any moment. Technology works, which is always a doubt. Come on, come on, you can do this Instagram. Ta-da! Hey, there you are! <laughs> I've appeared like Mab. It is magic. <laughs> Excellent. Oh, hello, Emma. Vanessa Harbour. Hi, Nessie. Dawn. Folded and sewn, who are not sure what their real name is, but hello. <laughs> And Abby. Hi, Abs. Hello. I like the little wave function. It's very friendly. Oh, where's the wave function? So who actually is the book chain project, if, if it's like this mysterious force? <laughs> or should well, we never I, find out? <laughs> oh, okay. We won't say that. I was going to say, I think, it, I think it's like the mysterious force that is Kitty Kettle, but... Oh, yeah, it probably is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I've, um... I can't jury rig this system where I basically put my phone on a blanket, so hopefully it won't fall over. But excuse me while I'm if I'm fiddling. Uh, my um. phone is currently sitting on my iPad um, holder on top um. of my MacBook, which then has my uh, a pot of ink on top of it, and then um. my two journals. So what then... you're saying could all go horribly wrong. <laughs> it could, as long as I don't wiggle anything, it will. Be yeah, fine. no wiggling. Okay. <laughs> We're going to stay really still for this interview. Um, so, I mean, I can give a few minutes. I won't, I won't give too too long for people. Let's get let's get going. Let's get going. Um, it's so being recorded. I'm, so, um, yes, that is true. That is true. So they can find out later. Um, so I'm delighted to be interviewing Annalise today about The Night Silver Promise, her middle grade debut, which is fantastic. Do you happen to have a copy? Because I don't have a finished copy. I've just got a proof. <laughs> there it is. Um and um yes a wonderful fantasy adventure full of heart and fantastic world building and exciting action and just so much packed into well, not not a little book but a, a medium book you know it's, 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 it's chunky enough yeah yeah, yeah. um chunky enough. <laughs> it's a whole journey and there will be more i believe yes um book two i've, I've sent my first draft to uh, to my editor last week my the lovely Yaz so um, just waiting for some feedback which mm, is always, always a scary always time fun, the waiting isn't it the waiting is fun yeah <laughs> <laughs> the waiting is fun will they be okay with the things that I've done this is the Ooh. thing isn't it it's have like, you killed oh. everyone sorry have you killed everyone not everyone 
<laughs> Only slight killings. Okay, good. Yeah, um, that's, yeah, a bit like you know, the light maiming, slight killing, that kind of thing. Just a pinky. Um, <laughs> cool. So I have questions. So many questions um, for you. Starting off with, um, so the world building in this book is fantastic. It's really kind of fully realised, kind of complex society with all kinds of like you know theology behind it, um, which I always I always applaud when there's when you've got the theology too. Um, so I'd love to know like how did you go about shaping this world and like why clockwork, why dragons. Um, what drew the ideas? What you know? What? How did it all come together in your mind? I won't ask you where your idea came from, but just how did it merge in your brain? Um, so I, I think that as writers, we collect ideas. We collect mm. them as we're going um, going around, and I like to think of them like um, a kind of planetary nebula. Mm. So, so the ideas, or like a nebula before before the the star is formed. So yeah, you yeah. have this nebula of ideas, and then you get like there's one idea that you know through through the process of Brownian motion just collides with all the other ideas, and you get that, you get that oh, moment. You know that oh, yeah. hang on, hang on, hang on, um, and that's like your aha moment, your your sun, um, and then all of the other di ideas kind of drift around in your what's now formed your accretion disk um creating little planetismals that then bash into each other to create your characters that are orbiting the sun of this idea and then the moons and the ring systems and all of the things that go along to make your story universe yeah. um so i had lots of different ideas that were bashing about in my head and um i don't I don't remember the aha moment, but I remember it was a NaNoWriMo and I sat down to write a totally different book. Mm. And um, my eldest daughter, Liberty, she's um, very good at making her own clothes and things. And she came down dressed in this kind of steampunky kind of uh, outfit. And I was like, oh, perhaps I'll write something totally different. Yeah. And, and so I started writing what was the first first version of the uh the night silver promise which was then called the invention of night and it was like 120,000 words long and it was because i'm a pantser it's me telling myself the story mm. for 120,000 words um but the idea of the clockwork universe came because i'm quite interested in astronomy and in the 13th century there was this scholarly monk uh called uh john john of sacrobosco uh, he then became known as like John of Hollywood, and okay. <laughs> which is like a cool name. <laughs> and he had this theory um, that he he taught, and it was the prevalent theory for like three hundred years: uh, the idea of the world machine, and that the universe was a you know clockwork mechanism, yeah, yeah. and the precise motion of the solar system um, could be measured. And and it's something that Newton talked about a bit, and and it also branched off into this idea of mechanical philosophy as well. Mm. So there's like a whole branch of philosophy called mechanical philosophy, where you know the idea of fate and everything is preordained, and 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 the idea of having a a kind of creator who set things up and then left. Mm. And, yeah, so. So, yeah. I'm pretty sure I had a whole philosophy class on the watchmaker and how he's just sort of left us to it and just not, it's not a nice guy. Why would he leave us? 
just um, not interested at all. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, so that's where the idea of the chief designer came from, creating mm. this universe. Um, and um, the idea of destiny and the the stars kind of mimic, you know, holding the your destiny and your fate came later. It was like one of the very last world building things that slotted into place. And it started... Is that mostly bit... to troll astronomers because they're so fed up yes. of being called astrologers? That is, that is where it came from. So I founded an astronomical society in like 2013. And... Um, they hate being amateur astronomers any kind of astronomers hate being called yeah. astrologers and i was just like oh, i'm just gonna mess with them um so did it, yeah and that's fun it made perfect sense it was like well if you totally believe that you are in a clockwork universe then yeah. you believe that well also, astrology would work if it was a clockwork universe that determined your fate because obviously that's you know the point Pretty of clockwork yeah yeah um and going a bit more into the detail of the world building, I was really interested in the idea of being dragon touched and where that came from. Um, so the dragon touch kind of turned up the same time as the dragons did. And um, I remember quite vividly when they turned up, I was washing up um, and, and I was like, oh, OK, so we've got this clockwork mechanism and we've got the unseen tracks of, of the celestial mechanism. And I'm going to need something really hot to fight to, you know, to create uh, the, the fire, to fuse the atoms together of the exotic particles that I've made up. Um, mm. And I was like, okay, dragons, like dragon breath could be really, dragon really, top. really, really hot. So of course it, it just seemed like a very natural um evolutionary process to have dragons mm. that worked with the chief designer to create uh, the universe and then um and then as i was washing up i was thinking about um cowpox i don't know why i just was and uh, so the idea of, of when um when milkmaids spent a lot of time with uh, cows they got cowpox and then that meant that they were immune to smallpox so there was like a transition of genes from the cow you know from the infected cowpox yeah, yeah. to to the humans um and i thought okay so if these women spend an awful lot of time with dragons perhaps there's yeah. some kind of transference that's going on there yeah, yeah. um so that's when dragon touch evolved yeah. from the idea that through that close contact with the dragons they caught something that then changed their genetic structure in yeah. some way yeah oh, i like it i um I, I obviously relate everything back to buffy and there's an episode where she gets something on her skin and she's going to develop an aspect of the demon and she keeps thinking the aspect is going to be you know a physical aspect that a boy demon might have but it turns out it's being psychic um, ah. There's a Buffy episode for literally everything. <laughs> <laughs> I must admit, I've, I've never watched Buffy. I've no Which idea. My if friend Danny to... Edwards is always very, very angry about. I should really yeah. watch Buffy. Although we did you get... Might, you might have missed a moment, I don't know. But you never know. Um... Yeah. For Debbie's birthday, we got Spike to do her a little cameo promo. And it was That's pretty fabulous. good. We like that. <laughs> um, cool. So, so we've got this world... Um, and I mean, in terms of the themes of the story, like what what do you see as like the overriding theme of the story? Um, so I think that in the first book, the kind of the theme is that you are in control of your destiny. Yeah, you know? you, you 
are in control of the things that happen to you and you have a certain amount of power that you can move within even if you know that something is going to happen or that there's like things that are in place within the structure and the you know hierarchy of living um Mm. you still have power within that structure yeah through the choices that you make so i think book one is about realizing that you have power and that you have the power to make choice and then book two is kind of about once you've made those choices you need to take responsibility for any repercussions Ooh, that happen that. consequences are fun consequences are terrifying yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's fun to read about the terrifying to happen to you yes um so let's talk process so you've already said you're a pantser um so like how do you you know i mean you just written book two so how did you sit down to write book two was it literally just blur and then yeah, so I, I usually have these kind of I, I was a lot less of a pantser with book two because of time constraints so um but i always have these kind of moments in my head that that i'm aiming towards so mm. it's like this is i have a very clear image of what happens at the end and usually a very clear image of what happens at the midpoint and then some different points in between and then mm. i let myself get there i let myself kind of go towards those places and sometimes really exciting interesting things happen along the way and I have to decide how much I want to explore that there was something really exciting that happened in book two and I was like oh this is so cool so we definitely you know I definitely embraced that but I didn't know it was going to happen before I sat down and Mm. wrote book two but there were some things that I definitely knew happened um and I wrote out a sequence for book two so I wrote Mm. the end first and then I wrote the things that I was excited about. So I wrote the midpoint before I'd written the beginning. Right. And then kind of went, worked out how I was going to get from the midpoint to the end. I knew obviously where my beginning was because we have the end of book one. So yeah, then it was working handy. out how I got from the end of book one to the midpoint. And then mm. just writing the things that most excited me that day rather yeah, than yeah. Um, writing it linearly. Yeah, um, yeah. So, so it was a slightly different process uh, doing book two. Mm. But usually, what I do is I do a draft, and then I edit that draft. And when I can't edit it anymore, I start with the blank page and write the story again. Yeah, and then edit it again, and then do so you the completely scrap the first one. Yes. So, uh, well, completely scrap the first one, completely scrap the second one. It will get scrapped until it is ready. Because yeah. I find that um, to keep to keep editing a draft, it feels dirty to me after a while. <laughs> there's, like, there's so many things that are left in it. And it's like, oh no. Whereas if I scrap it, all of the good bits stay in my sieve, you know. Right. And all of, the, all of the bits that aren't so exciting, that I'm not as connected to, will fall through the sieve. Oh, and, and I find that a good process for getting something that's very... So you someone that naturally has quite a good memory, would you say? Yeah. Not for not for like places and people and things, but no, for, no, story. for like, <laughs> like yeah, yeah. I'm good, at, I'm good um, at remembering story and I'm good at remembering all the things my kids do. Right. Um, <laughs> all the bad things. <laughs> and all the good things. They get awesome points for good things. Although they're yeah. they're old, so like there's a lot less awesome points being given out because Oh bad. Yeah. You should still get awesome points all your life, you know? Oh, they definitely get awesome points. The other day, Oak got one. I was like, get an awesome point. And he was like, yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, oh, brilliant. Um, 
so okay so writing process so you, you completely jump the drafts which is a terrifying idea to me um yeah <laughs> I know, I know. it's not for everyone i'm not suggesting no no it's a very bold throw, move i like it I, I really admire it this sounds but... terrifying um yes yeah, sorry laura's if... saying um you deserve all the awesome points yourself oh thanks laura back at you <laughs> um and yeah so obviously we've got you know you've got writing process but there's another process at work here which is the publishing process which is you know the worm that swallows us all that we can't control but um everyone is always very curious about how you got to where you are now so you talk us through a bit like how you got from whatever your first idea was to published and doing instagram live <laughs> so it definitely wasn't a quick process um so I think I first had the idea for, for the book about five, six years ago. Um, quick. <laughs> so, super quick. And, and I knew that I wasn't, so I, I wasn't there as a writer. I needed to work on my craft and thing mm. and, you know, become better. So, um, so when I very first started, I was uh, teaching creative writing in various schools and I was homeschooling my kids. And then um, I joined the Golden Egg Academy and started working on my craft. And then I became a library manager and um, I did a master's degree in creative writing. And I just learned, you know, read lots of stories, read lots of books about how to craft a really good story and, um, and learned a bit about, you know, what it is to be a writer and to, mm. and to feel uncomfortable and to write the things that make you excited but also make you a little bit scared mm. you know, when you're like I don't know if I can do this justice but yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna try I'm gonna try yeah. my hardest um so I entered Undiscovered Voices and that was like the big what is Undiscovered point. Voices? Sorry, I haven't, I'm not aware of this. What, what is it exactly? Uh, okay, so Undiscovered Voices. If you are a member of Scooby, every two years, uh, the Society of Children's Book Writers and Illustrators in the UK run a competition called Undiscovered Voices. So um, you have to be a member to enter the competition. Mm. You enter your first 4,000 words of your manuscript, a 75-word synopsis, which is just like horrible. Like... 75 words that's like a scrap um, line <laughs> and then um and then you wait and you wait to hear if you've been shortlisted uh, longlisted yeah um and and the wonderful thing about undiscovered voices is the the opportunity that it gives you i'm gonna see if i've got my no i don't um but they they so they the the books the manuscripts that get shortlisted mm are the 4,000 words are produced in a book and as an ebook online and mm. that book is sent to agents and publishers Ooh. and you get a mentor who helps you through that process mm. and you get a lovely party to go to in London. Um, oh, parties. Yeah, it's always good to have a party. Uh, we had our party just at the start of like when everybody was going oh there's this funny flu thing going around. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think, yeah, so it was literally just as, as coronavirus was... The last party. Was, yeah, it was happening. Um, and, and what's lovely about Undiscovered Voices that I found is that the 12 of us, the 12 finalists from 2020, we've formed such a lovely close-knit group and we meet mm. like once a month on Zoom and we really support each other. And the team at Undiscovered Voices, who's led by um, Sarah Grant, 
is just amazing they mm. are so so helpful and so um proactive at helping you to get in touch with agents uh, and agents instead of you sending out your manuscript agents come and ask you for it because Ooh, that's nice which is very nice because <laughs> they've read it in the anthology and if yeah, they're yeah. interested then they get in touch with you so um yeah I'm very civilized i approve of that it's not it's such a <laughs> lovely um it's a lovely way to do it because you do feel very supported mm. you know, from the Undiscovered Voices team. And um, Undiscovered Voices 2022 is opening for submissions this summer. So Ooh. anybody who's a member of Scooby um, and has a manuscript that they feel is in good shape and ready for it uh, should definitely take advantage of that opportunity. That sounds great. Yeah. Um, awesome. And, and then, so you got Undiscovered Voices, then what? Oh, so um, <laughs> off the back of Undiscovered Voices, I met Helen, my agent, Helen Boyle from Pink. Mm -hmm. Lovely Helen. She's just the most amazing person in the world. And uh, we met each other just before the pandemic. Um, and that's the one and only in life meeting that we've had. Yeah. <laughs> but we are planning on hopefully at some point meeting up and going stationary shopping because we both love stationary. Oh, nice. um, so yeah so I met Helen and then we did a little bit of work on the manuscript there was one character that that she made me make nicer because they Ooh, were a bit who was that Odelia was a slightly harsh to Corbett oh, really <laughs> that draft uh so we made him a little bit um, softer around the edges yeah. especially towards Corbett um and then we sent it out and and Scholastic came back with a preempt, and first of all, Helen had to explain to me what a preempt was, and then, um, yeah, and then I met with Yaz and uh, so, um, my lovely editor, Yasmin Morrissey, and Lauren Fortune, and um, and I was overjoyed to, to see yeah. Scholastic. So, oh, you got a yay from Laura. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, it is exciting. I was, I think, you know, um. One of those things that's very easy to do as a writer is not really stop and feel grateful for the good stuff that's happened. Just like, oh no, will it sell? Or, oh no, will X happen next? And so I think we should take a moment and say, this is a pretty amazing achievement and also an amazing book. Ah, oh, thank you. And I think also it's finding joy in the process, isn't it? Mm. It's like, because there's so much of it that you, there's a lot of rewriting that happens and obviously a lot mm. of thinking. And, and I just, um, so I'm, I, I love that collaborative element of working with mm. my editor because it's like, I've made the story as best as I can, you know, as shiny as I can do it. Yeah, now yeah. we're going to have a chat and we're going to bounce ideas off and then it's going to, we're going to shine it together. We're going to yeah, yeah. you know, polish it up and make it more shiny and richer and deeper. Mm. And, um, and I really look forward to that part mm. of the process of, um, of letting somebody else in. Yeah. Um, vibing off their energy. <laughs> yeah. No, like a writing great. vampire. Yeah. <laughs> Just here to eat the editors, really, you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> With a nice Chianti. Um, <laughs> so I have a question for you. If a bunch of stars appeared on your wrist tomorrow and revealing your destiny, what would it say? Oh, so I think it firstly say that I'm destined to always be untidy because I am a slightly untidy person. Um, but I live in a house full of people that have tidy up OCD, which is... Oh, right. Well, do they just tidy up after you then? Um, they do not come in my study. Like, uh. they, they 
just my other half bless him he's like I put some post in your study and I'm not going in there again um <laughs> but yeah so they're all they're all very tidy neat freaks and yeah. I am not and I think it would probably also say that I'm um destined for my children always to think that I am a mega nerd um, <laughs> and to never be able to cook Yorkshire puddings because really I've tried and I've tried but I just cannot I don't know what they just turn out like a a solid block of spongy mm. mixture it just never works it's sad. Oh, well, I feel like you can take that pain and turn it into art I could good disappointment yeah. just use it for fuel I'll show you my I may not be able to do this but I can write books um so um so a philosophical one next um obviously writing about a world that has kind of predestination in it but what what do you personally think about fate um like what what drew you i mean obviously there was the kind of backstory of the kind of astronomical origins of this but what kind of drew you emotionally to writing a story about fate um i think fate is quite a dangerous thing to have because um I think you can you can put limitations on yourself and go oh it's just my fate not to do that Mm. um and and I think that you should well personally I think you should always strive towards your happiness and your joy Mm. um and if there are barriers in the way then you should try to overcome them if it's a thing that you really want the thing that Mm. you really want to to be doing or you want to have in your life you should try to overcome them um and I think that if there is if everything is predestined like we don't know if it is we don't know if it isn't Mm. so the only thing you can do is like work towards your happiness and if you get to the end and somebody says to you well actually that's exactly how we planned it Mm. then you don't know that that's fine but if you stop doing things because you believe that somebody has got a different plan for you yeah that's entirely different that's limiting yourself because you believe that somebody else has has something planned for you and you are imposing that upon you yeah um, in a in a in a way that does not bring joy (laughs) no i think joy is a very good motivator i appreciate i like that um so um are there any other themes apart from fate that you find yourself kind of coming back to in your writing like over time yeah i often write about death death death. but i think that's because i'm quite um i'm i'm i am terrified of death you know yeah It's, it's the one big thing isn't it it's the one thing that happens to us all it's the one thing that we don't really talk about as a society mm. um and it's uh, as well as birth it's the one thing that we all share yeah yeah common um and and i think it's not necessarily the act of dying that i'm scared of it's it's what i'm leaving behind because yeah i have i have a lot of richness in my life and Mm -hmm. a lot of people that i love and and so it's not necessarily what i'm moving towards it's Mm. what i'm moving away from yeah so when you say you want to write about death in a way you're writing about love because it is about that what what you'd be losing the things that Um. keep us yeah yeah so not like morbid death goth death it's more you know please don't die (laughs) yes (laughs) it's more wouldn't it be nice if we didn't have to worry about that whole death thing and and we could we could just be happy forever (laughs) that'd be beautiful i love that um so on the on the love 
ish topic i'm gonna make i'm trying to do a segue between each question here i like this yeah yeah um on the topic of love what's your approach to writing about relationships because you obviously got like a sibling relationship that's really core to the book um so yeah i'd love to know kind of how how you kind of write those bonds between people those tensions between people yeah so so in the book the the relationship between dax and uh and paisley started off as um a reflection of the relationship between my eldest daughter liberty and my son oak um Hmm. because they have this kind especially when oak was little so liberty was five when oak was born and Hmm. she absolutely doted on him you know Hmm. she would do absolutely anything for him until it got to the point that he was a, a very annoying toddler yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then that kind of changed their relationship dynamic changed mm. um but i'm very lucky that i've got three children um so crystal liberty and oak they get on really well they mm. you know at which they have spent an awful lot of time together being siblings mm. as they are all homeschooled mm. um so, so it's quite surprising that they get on as well as they do. <laughs> um, but definitely Liberty and, and Oak were, were the foundation for that relationship. And obviously mm. it, it evolved as Paisley and Dax evolved into being uh, their own distinct people. And Odelia yeah. was originally based on my younger daughter, Crystal. Um, mm. She is the solid rock. Mm. You know, she's the sticky glue. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah so Odelia definitely started off as being um a reflection of crystal and then she she grew into her own so mm. so definitely those three relationships they started off as something um that I had anchor points for mm. yeah because yeah. I um I mean, I'm, I'm an only child so I always find kind of the sibling thing quite interesting I never really write about siblings because I wouldn't know but um, <laughs> but I do find those kind of sibling-like relationships quite e- interesting where you're kind of, I guess anyone that you're thrown together with and you didn't have a choice about is is quite interesting. Um, and I feel like in a, in a fated world, that's especially relevant because obviously you're kind of, that's another thing that the stars have decided for you, which, you know, which mother you all came out of. <laughs> Indeed. And there is that thought, um, I know that I, I've read lots of different things and I remember reading something that said that, uh, you know, your soul gets to pick the the life that you have. So essentially you're, you're picking your, your parents and your life experience before you've, before you've arrived, which again is another really interesting kind of concept to, to think about. Mm. Um, and one of the things that I like to do in my, in my own life every now and again is I have a little stop and I think, am I, like if at the moment of my death I get reborn into this life mm. I have to start at the very beginning a bit like me redrafting my book um, <laughs> and and I have to live exactly the same life would I be all right with that would I yeah. be okay with putting up with all of the rubbish in order to get all of the good mm. and, and luckily the answer is always yes but I feel that if at any point it was well no actually this rubbish is yeah, rubbish, yeah. then that's a very good catalyst for change Hmm. Oh, interesting. I I never really step back, so this is <laughs> this is kind of interesting. <laughs> I spend far too much time thinking. Right then, I have my nose pressed against the glass on so there. Um. <laughs> so um. Okay, so we've got love, we've got relationships, we've got fate. Um. So, I mean, so one of the things we were saying earlier is that you you sort of in your learning process as a writer, there was a lot of reading. 
Um, so have you got any favourite group um, books for this age group, for the kind of 8 to 12, um, whether it's old, you know, from your own childhood or modern or um, any that you felt like you learned from? So when I was a kid, I didn't read very much fiction. I read mm. lots of non-fiction. Um, I think the closest thing I got to reading like fiction was was probably myth stories. So mm. I liked reading all of the Greek myths and, and Norse myths. Uh, but we it's a common it's a common joke in my family. We had a set of um, Claxton's encyclopedias, and Annalise read them. Um, yeah, <laughs> and I remember collecting uh, Quest magazine as a child when I grew up, and Quest magazine was like a, a, a uh, a fortnightly magazine that came in a sleeve and you had pages that had different sections in it so there were like pages that told you things about the natural world about space about new technology um you know all of these different subject areas there was one of them well, ones where you had like a folder that you put together yes, in. and then you had a folder yeah. that you put together and then it also had like a big poster that came with it mm. and also some kind of crafting activity that you could mm -hmm, do mm -hmm. um and i adored that as a child so um but i remember when i when i first decided that i that i wanted to write and i wanted to write mm. for children i was working for um english heritage and i was working in a castle a framingham oh. castle so it's the castle that ed sheeran sings about castle on the hill and um and i was writing different things and then i read um philip Holborn's his dark materials and mm -hmm. i hadn't read it before uh because you know i was too old by the time it came out and, mm. and it had passed me by and i remember reading it and thinking this is the type of thing that that i want to write you know mm. something that's that doesn't talk down to my reader doesn't um assume that that that, that they are that you know that they are less um and just tells them how it is and allows them to find their way. Like just mm. trusts them, trusts the reader to, if you don't understand this, you're, you're going to find it out because, yeah, yeah, you know, this is part of the, part of the un, unspoken um, contract that we are entering into. Yeah. Uh, and the contract goes a bit like, um, I'm going to tell you some things. I'm going to tell you some things that are true and some things that aren't. And um, you're going to come with me. And we're going to have a good time. And at the end, I'm going to give you a gift. You might like the gift. And you so what's the gift? Else. The gift is the ending. Ah. So the ending is always the gift. <laughs> and, it's, and it's the gift that you give your reader for, 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 for coming on the journey. You know? okay. And that gift might be anticipation of what's to come. It yeah. might be um, the closure of, of an arc. Mm. Um, but it's always something that they take away with them mm. and that they can meditate on and think about i think mm. um so for me one of the one of the books that's given me the biggest gift is patrick ness's a monster calls i feel oh. like that book destroyed me as a person and yeah. then built me up as a much better one um and that was just such a wonderful gift to receive as a reader um, yeah but yeah there's lots of books that that I love and so um when you meet me by um Rebecca Stead I love that book. I read that. I haven't, oh it's it's very good um mm. The Giver by Lois Lowry I've no, never read that one I just I didn't read any American stuff growing up really um I've only really read you know I've read a lot of contemporary American stuff but not the older kids stuff really so my wife's American every now and then she'll mention a book and I was like 
never read it. <laughs> yeah, the Giver um, is um, is a book that I give to people for their birthdays. <laughs> is it, I, I don't know. I know nothing about this book. So in my head, I'm assuming it's about it's like. Um, uh, never let me go about giving up body parts but is that not true <laughs> no no it's um so the giver is is set in a um in a kind of future a future place future mm. uh, you know our future that is very different and very regulated so everything is uh, emotions are regulated mm. um development is regulated and um within the society that Jonas the the main character lives in um within the society that he lives in there is a person called the receiver of memories mm -hmm. and the receiver of memories receives from the giver all of the memories of the past time so how the world used to be um and uh, there's a every year there's a ceremony of people as they get older they take on mm. different functions and different roles within the society mm. and um jonas is he becomes the the, the receiver of memories and it's mm. how he how he deals with that and how by oh, receiving great. Memories, <laughs> it's brilliant it's a brilliant brilliant <laughs> book and it's just uh, it's the first in a in a quadrilogy, um, but the other books are connected, but you do but are standalone. Yeah. So yeah, so definitely. I think you come at writing it with a really interesting perspective. Then, having not really read much children's fiction as a child, but nonfiction instead, and then sort of coming to the children's fiction later as an adult, but from a craft perspective almost, but but also to as a reader. Yeah, um, and also my my children are huge fiction readers hmm. rather than non-fiction readers so it was kind of me exploring fiction whilst whilst they were exploring it at the same yeah. time um so that was a re that was really interesting that we were both some texts we were both coming to them at the same yeah. time and seeing their reaction to it and mm. then seeing my re reaction to it and i think that made me realize that when i write i'd like to have the layers so there are layers of of, of um I, I don't know Lay, layers of um i was gonna say perception but i don't think that's the right word so basically Weirdly, that was the word i was thinking of so, <laughs> so maybe oh. that is the right word <laughs> well, then you're perceiving different layers of the story if you're a different reader yeah okay. and you're bringing all of your life experience to to, mm. to that uh, to that story in that thread and you know all of the life experience that you have as an eight-year-old as a nine-year-old is 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 in no way small or diminished in comparison to the life experience that you bring as an adult there's mm -hmm. you know they they're just different and yeah. it's and it's looking at at the story through those lenses mm. and through what's important to each of those readers and what they're yeah. going to pick up on and what they're not so often you know that reading experience is shared in some way whether it's you know reading it as a bedtime story or even just you know the young reader telling the adult reader what they're reading at the moment and you know i've had you know plenty of children tell me the story they're reading and it's and it when i've and i realized i've actually read that book and it's nothing like i my experience at all you know it's like a completely different story which is wonderful yeah one of my favorite things about being a librarian was when all the children come in and they're like what book should I read and getting to recommend books to them and mm. then getting and then then coming back and looking for me and being like I read this and I really like this bit and this bit and this bit and then mm. choosing books together and 
quite often when I had adults kind of like approach me and ask for a book to read, I'd find out what kind of books they like. I'd give them a couple of selections from the adult section and then just whip them around to the children's section. And, go, <laughs> and I think you'd like this one too. Yeah. And sometimes I'd find them at the self-service where they'd abandoned them. And sometimes they'd come back and go, I loved that book and I need to yeah. read more children's books. Um, so, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Um, so I'm realising we're rather over time. So I'm going to pick out of my final questions. Um, well, we've got a little extra later, so that's fine. Um, one, one last question. So um, if you had to write a spin-off involving one side character from Night's Silver Promise, which side character would you pick? Um, so there's a character really early on in the book. Um, it's in chapter two, and she is the shop girl who is captured by the Ooh, men yeah, at the yard. Yeah. yeah. And um, and I know what her name is, and I know exactly why you know what she was doing before they captured yeah. her, and I know what happens to her afterwards. And and I I think I'd like to write her story. Mm. Um, I'd also love to have a graphic novel exploring Odelia's story as well, mm. you know, and um, we're getting and, a yes, a strong yes from the audience from Vanessa. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so I think, and, I think the world is big enough to, to, to branch out in different directions mm, and, um, and it's interesting and complex enough to, to be fresh at mm. the things that we're seeing. Uh, but we'll just see what happens. Yeah. And in this graphic novel, what would be like your dream art style? Oh, um, like quite well, realistic, think, painterly, or well, I think my my daughter uh, Crystal, she she absolutely loves uh, graphic novels and and she adores manga. So she'd be like, "Come on, Mum, Tokyo Ghoul." <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I think it would have to be something that's. Slight, slightly very rich and yeah. and I love limited palettes so um, mm, I, I, I love watching um, oh think Annalise what's the director called um, the guy who did the Royal Tenenbaums and oh yeah yes uh, Wes Anderson I love his yeah. I love his colour scheme I love the limited palette that he uses with within the colours so I, I'd really I'd, I'd want them to explore that kind of thing the idea of the, yeah. the different colors in different places denoting different things and yeah. um yeah yeah well wonderful um it's been so lovely chatting to you and um, likewise and i will be saving this so um people can watch it back um we've got a yes where's from laura <laughs> yes where's anderson he's awesome um, yeah so uh yeah so lovely to chat and your book is amazing if anyone has not yet read it why haven't you read it yet go and read it now why are you and here? it's only 99 pence on kindle just Ooh. for today oh excellent uh, get, get, it's get involved kindle daily deal so we'll definitely spread the word about that to anyone that's not read it um but uh and thanks for watching guys and um to the people watching this in the future um i wonder what cummings has said by now <laughs> Um, <laughs> and yeah it's been, it's been a real pleasure chatting to you and I, I love being able to find out more about a book from the person who wrote it and also about what what's not in the book and what's behind it and um so thank you oh, it was been a joy and you're most welcome <laughs> brilliant well I will turn off and say goodbye yeah, thanks say everybody goodbye. take care <laughs> bye
Bye. Grady, Ben and Lizzie survived Savage Island, but can they survive Cruel Castle and take down Marcus Gold in the process? They're surrounded by psychopaths and lethal traps, but now they've got a few tricks of their own. Cruel Castle by Bryony Pierce, out in September 2021. Hello, so welcome to the green room after the Instagram. Um, it's very nice to see you. Um, and so I know we had a bonus question that we didn't manage to fit into the um, into the Instagram. And also if there was anything else you didn't manage to say that we could add to the green room gang. Um, so the question that we wanted to add was from Gav Hetherington, which was, forgive me if I get the wording wrong, um, what's your proudest author moment so far? Um, so there have been a few uh proud author moments like you know seeing the book uh yeah. that kind you know and then seeing the book in a shop uh yeah. mostly revolves around looking at the book with my eyeballs <laughs> um <laughs> holding the book yeah <laughs> i haven't licked it yet no no i'm not quite sure that the foil is up to being licked um but what i shall show you one of my my proud moments so um a lovely young lady called daisy uh drew me a very beautiful picture of paisley uh, really good she looks like she's kind of rushing off to save her brother yeah um, and she also sent me a little gift so daisy is um when i was with the golden egg academy my editor was uh, mickey marshall and daisy is mickey's daughter and uh, so uh, daisy read um the proof copy of uh, oh lovely of the night self promise so she sent me a a little a beautiful little necklace of a dragon oh and she wrote me this slightly threatening note <laughs> which is adorable. Uh, dear Annalise, I loved Night Silver Promise. I loved Paisley, but Odelia is my favourite character. Team Odelia. Um, I, mean, I gave you this present because I thought it was something that Paisley would wear. Good luck with your second book. P.S. Don't kill off Odelia. Please, please, please. <laughs> Otherwise, I might not speak again from Daisy. And then in brackets, also, I might not speak to you, or I might not speak ever again. I think ever again. Like, so we're going vow of silence if Adelia dies. Yeah, if Adelia dies. And then after her name, she's put also known as danger. So I feel like that's... Okay, this is like, very threatening. <laughs> yes. And I feel like if that's the kind of, um, you know, readers that I've got, yay. Brilliant. Loving that passion. <laughs> and uh and i think it really goes to show that um a lot of this kind of talking down to readers and wrapping them in cotton wool is just silly because actually they've got murder in their hearts and they're plotting your death so it's they can handle it so they can handle long words and a bit of stabbing definitely and and i think you know they enjoy that challenge they enjoy mm. the challenge of, of 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 feeling um trusted with yeah with being able to handle a story that's maybe a little bit bigger um, yeah. and a little bit more complex and yeah. and I think it gives them I know for me like it gives me joy when I when I work something out in a story and yeah I'm, yeah and I'm like oh and I'm there with it and I'm in the action and I'm puzzling it through um, yeah so yeah that was 
very proud moments. Yeah, well, that is that is a good moment. I, I think fan art is the greatest thing, you know. It's um, definitely. Have you got really good like that? <laughs> and and you you drew me some wonderful fan art of Odelia. I did, yeah, just after when I just after I read it. Um, I didn't like look back and check at the description, so I don't think I physically got her right, but hopefully I got something spiritual. About you definitely her. captured her energy. <laughs> and yeah. her, mm -hmm. her feistiness um yeah. yeah that was definitely on show no it's brilliant and so you've just finished book two like as in just drafted it yeah so I've, well, I've just sent it off to um to my editor so we're just yeah i'm just waiting to to hear back from her and then i will with my crazy process i will start with a blank sheet and start writing wow. again I'm still I'm still really reeling from that by the way <laughs> it's um yeah like I said it's not for everyone but it no, definitely, no. definitely works for me and and I know a couple of it's people sort of like do. the method acting of writing or something it's just that very extreme approach you know I like it though I like it yeah um, it, it does feel extreme but I think every time I rewrite it I'm feeling like the story is a lot more solid. It's a lot more connected, mm. and like I said, it's that sieve, the idea of the sieve, and all of the, yeah. all of the, and it's quite, uh, quite strange because sometimes I'll, because I'll, I'll print out the document, I'll go through everything, I'll write editorial notes, um, mm. and then I won't look at them when I'm rewriting. Um, yeah. But occasionally I have, uh, like when I finished writing, I'll go back just to check that I got everything that I wanted. And mm. the exact same phrasing that I've written in my longhand notes will be there in the typed yeah. version, even though I wasn't, you know, transcribing it. Yeah, yeah. Just, yeah. So it's yeah. quite amazing what your brain holds on to, how it. Yeah. Because um, I feel if I did that, I'd just end up writing a completely different book, which would be fine. But it wouldn't like I, I would in no way capture anything from the original draft. It'd just be a bunch of completely different stuff. Um, I don't think my brain holds on to anything. So um, yeah, no, that's that's fascinating. Um, there was obviously we kind of you know talks a lot, which is great. Um, so I there was a few questions I didn't actually manage to get to. Well, um, do you want to but, fire those off now? I mean, just quickly, um, yeah, it just, it's just a couple. Um, one was um, obviously did a lot of world building. Was there anything you had to leave out from the final book that you like built but never got to? Like you didn't, it wasn't even part of this, it wasn't relevant to the story. So you just kind of didn't include it, but you, but you imagined it. Yeah, so we had lots of, um, like in my first draft, there was uh, a lot more with George. So, mm. and, and uh, the, the King's men. So his knights and mm. how that all fitted together and in book two I've been able to to use that because we, mm. we spend a bit more time with George we get to understand some of um the, some of the the kind of interplays that are happening around the George and although he's like the head of the empire there's there, there are these people moving around him who are also like influencing him and obviously he's got his stars as well that he needs to um needs to live by um mm. so that was really cool thinking of all of the swanky costumes for the different orders <laughs> of knights to wear <laughs> yeah. uh you know all of the different color schemes what their symbols are uh what right. their mottos are and some of this you know like their mottos and things that's not in book two but it's yeah. all part of that iceberg the iceberg of yeah writing. yeah no, things that you know that yeah um, and then you can always like drop tiny references to them to amuse yourself, which is always fun. Um, 
And um, so the other one that I didn't manage to ask was, um, if Knights of a Promise was adapted, would you want it to be TV, movie, or something else completely like a musical? Um, interpretive dance. Um, <laughs> I think, I think the, I think like as you read it, it's quite visual. Hmm. I think it would make a great kind of Sunday afternoon BBC, you know, sitting around with the family kind of drama. Uh, but also, I know that, that box of delights. Um, people, I've heard of Boxes Delights, but I've never watched it. So you too young. <laughs> do what Boxes Delights is, but more, I guess like the his dark materials. Was in the eighties? So I, I was, I born in the eighties, but I don't remember ever watching it. Uh, yeah, you might just be a little bit too young. I was born in seventy eight, so I was the right age. <laughs> um, yeah, so I think maybe something like that, but it's yeah. I think it would, but I'd love a radio drama because I love mm. listening to radio dramas, and yeah, I love yeah. the fact that you can, um, you know, you can be, you can, you can go with it. But I think there's so many visual markers in the book; um, it might be a little bit difficult to, without having like a narrative voice over the top. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. So rather than like a a radio drama play, uh, it would probably need a, a, some kind of a, an external narrator that's describing things. Right, yeah. They like the floating boroughs. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, fascinating. I mean, I love a radio drama, so that would be that be um really sweet. My um I was a big Lord of the Rings fan as a kid and um I love Lord of the Rings, but I, I wouldn't necessarily say Tolkien's the greatest writer in the world. <laughs> um he's the greatest world builder in the world. But um so I think my favourite version of Lord of the Rings was the um audio drama version which had um, Ian Holm playing Frodo, which when the films came around later, it was very confusing because suddenly he was Bilbo. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> you're Frodo. <laughs> um, and uh, one thing I didn't work out till years later was there was, um, you know, you kind of, I listened to them a lot of times. So I knew the cast list off by heart and it was, uh, and William Nighy. And only years later did I realise that's Bill Nighy. <laughs> yeah. And he's playing Sam. Yeah. So. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, he yeah. Was, I bet he was a great Sam. He was great. He was amazing, but like, did not make the connection. You know, saw loads of films with him in, and then was like, "Oh, wait a minute, William, Bill, William." Ah, yeah, yeah. So, who are you interviewing next? Um, I am interviewing Anna next. Uh, I've got her book here. Hang on, let me grab it. Oh. The Rapids. Oh, cool. So that's cool. I haven't started reading it yet, so I'm going to have to. Uh, that's Stop, stop well, tomorrow. <laughs> Sorry, I missed that bit. You're it's very fresh in your mind by the time it you will be. Yeah. Um, as I said earlier, I've, I've got a bit of a rubbish memory for quite a lot of things, but story seems to stick in my brain. Um, so I'm quite lucky with that, <laughs> which is yeah. good when I throw my story away and then start again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's the only way to you require a memory. Um, yes, I think. I remember the like structure of story in the biggest sense, but not necessarily the details of what happens in any individual story. <laughs> yeah, but I think um, sometimes if if like especially when it's your own story, if you've lost those details, then those details were not important. They were not the thing that was resonating through your story. They were not the mm. thing that was important and holding it together and that you needed for 
you know for the development if it's something yeah. that so you like, can... I think I I would very much come up from the point of view of like every story has a million versions and it doesn't really matter which version you tell as long as it's a good version like story a bit like myth and so that kind of um I could tell this story a million ways there's no one right way to tell it it's just you know I will find a particular way that I'm enjoying and follow that one yeah although I think sometimes like when you have like versions of fairy tales there's always like the version you like the best you know so yeah yeah for me the little mermaid it has to be like the original Hans Christian version I don't you know Disney version I like the fact that always got me the Roald Dahl revolting rhymes versions for me (laughs) anything where you got Red Riding Hood with a gun is good and knitters yes Um, indeed when you go back to the original originals they're horrific they are um uh, Sleeping Beauty especially I can't even put it on video. It's too horrible. Um, and and yeah. I quite like uh, Neil Gaiman's kind of perception of Sleeping Beauty that she's a vampire. <laughs> how many <laughs> how many women do you know with lips as red as red, as blood and who are very yeah, pale yeah. and have dark yeah. hair and um, go to sleep and then die and wake up? Yeah, <laughs> that's fun. Yeah, I like vampires. I mean, I like vampires in anything. They can they can turn up whenever they like. I will welcome, I will invite them in. Quick, you heard that everyone. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, that just worked, didn't it? So yeah, it might have done. <laughs> quick retract yeah, it. I'll Can you retract, does that work? Uninvite them, quick. Some kind of spell, I think. Uh, just, I'll do the spell after the video. Okay, excellent. Find some salt. Um, Wiggle that about. Works. Yeah. Vampires <laughs> and slugs. So yeah, just... very similar. Um, so before we go, I feel like I should put one little guest star on camera. Um, and if I can work it out, there we are. There's oh, Buffy. There's Buffy. Sleeping her way through the interview. Um, but she yeah. says hi, what she would do if she was awake. <laughs> well, thank you ever so much. It was it was really good fun. I really enjoyed it. And and you're recording this, right? So yeah, I'm recording this, so um I shall send it off to the to the fairies. Yeah, brilliant. The fairies, the mysterious figures. The mysterious figures. I'll send it yeah. to Kitty and I'll be like, here you go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> do what you do, my lovely. <laughs> yeah. Bless awesome. Me. She's amazing putting everything yeah. together. And no. Yeah, she's just, she's a powerhouse. She's on fire. And a very good writer as well. So. Oh, yeah. So good. Oh, okay, right. Have a lovely evening. Oh, yes, sorry. I'll just, I'll just. That was my summary of, of hers, which is um, the power meets why last man. That's a good X meets Y. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, it's a fantastic book. Anyway, lovely to speak to you. Um, and I look forward to seeing whatever interview you do next with her. Yeah, it'll be fun once I've read the book. Yeah. Obviously, no pressure. Yeah. Just get it ready. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Stop. Got this interview, read. <laughs> yes, that's what I'm doing. Well, straight after I've eaten. I'm then going to read. Yeah. <laughs> okay, okay, take care. Have a lovely evening. Okay. Hi, I hope you really enjoyed that chat. Next week, Annalise is going to be talking to Anna Bowles, whose debut, Rapids, is uh, out this uh, year with Untold, and it's uh, a story of friendship and mental health, and I really hope to see you there. Bye for now. <laughs>